There are two types of decisions. There are reversible and non-reversible. And if it's a reversible decision, you want to take all the data and make it quickly. If it's a non-reversible decision, then your accuracy is far more important. And I find that humans are one of the few creatures in the world that can see the future. The thing that I would recommend to anyone listening, looking for some type of action to take out of this, is start tracking your accuracy and your decision-making. So one thing I started a long, long time ago is I would write down the decisions that I made and then retroactively see if they were correct or not in hindsight. So if I said, this is how we should do it and it was wrong, then I will go back and say, okay, like that was incorrect. And then I'll literally have an accuracy score for that day, for that week, for that month. And it doesn't mm. need to be something that's like super intensive. Like you don't need to, you know, kill yourself over it. But the idea is, is that you'll realize for a lot of people that you're saying things in absolutes. You're thinking about things like mm. so concretely and saying it. And then it turns out that you were wrong. I think a lot of people would be surprised like what their actual percentage was. Welcome to the Undefeated Underdogs podcast, where I unpack and narrate stories of ambitious people who turn obstacles into opportunities. My goal for this podcast is to create a platform to narrate underdog stories and maybe play a small, teeny tiny role in inspiring you. I intend to highlight the underdog mentality and make authentic conversations with people who play the long game take action with the chip on their shoulder and convert obstacles into opportunities. Buckle up as I'll be bringing some authentic founders, VCs, community builders and content creators who got underestimated their whole lives and yet they beat all the odds to become insanely successful. Now, today I want to tell you a little bit about our awesome sponsor, Acquire.com. Selling a business is as tough as building a business. As someone who went through this process once, selling my own startup, I know the pain it takes to get to the end zone. This is where our sponsor shines. Imagine this, you're a founder who's built a solid SaaS product, acquired customers and generating consistent monthly revenue. The problem is you're not growing forever for whatever reason, lack of focus, lack of skill, or just plain lack of interest and you feel stuck. What should you do? The story I'd like to hear is, you buckle down, somehow reignited the fire, get past yourself and the cliches and start working on your business rather than just in the business. You start building an audience, move out of your comfort zone to do sales and marketing, and in six months, you triple your revenue. The reality isn't as simple. Situations may be different from every founder facing these crossroads, but too many times, the story ends up being one of inaction and stagnation until the become business the business becomes less valuable or worse worthless if you find yourself here or your story is likely headed down a similar road i offer you a third option consider selling your business on acquire.com capitalizing on the value of your time is a smart move acquire.com is free to list and they've helped hundreds of founders already go to try.acquire.com slash Sharath and see for yourself if this is the right option for you. Now, let's get into today's episode. King the Wander hoodie. <laughs> the, hoodie the hoodie is looking great, dude. It's a great vibe. I love it. Ah, thank you, man. I appreciate all, all kudos uh, to, to Wander. Welcome, welcome, folks. Welcome to the Undefeated Underdogs podcast. You just got a sneak peek of who I'm uh, interviewing right now. 
without further ado, John Andrew Entwistle, the CEO of Wander. Welcome to the show. How are you feeling, man? I'm feeling great. <clears throat> Life is good. Sun is shining. World is spinning. I'm on with you. Super appreciative to be here. So yeah, start. Uh, thank you. And for for folks who are watching this video, I'm actually rocking Wander's hoodie. It's one of my favorite hoodies. It's cozy. It's like that. Like you know, John was selling. It has that vibe, you know, that Gen Z, <laughs> Gen Z vibe, which I require as a, as a millennial. But looks great. Yeah, you look good in it. It's a good color. Yes. So the I was one of the I think founding members, I guess, uh, when you guys launched the hundred dollar yeah membership. Yeah. So I just quickly there's snatched. not there's not many of those. There's over two hundred, well, close to two hundred thousand users on the platform. And some wow. 2,000 founding members. So it's a it's a pretty special group. Wow. Okay. We'll Probably be doing like... an event. We'll be doing an event soon. So we'll have like a big event at one of the properties and everyone's going to be invited. It'll be a great time. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Looking forward for that. Uh, for folks who don't know John, let me guys, let me give you guys like a brief intro. John is a dynamic founder, CEO of Wander, a venture innovating the short-term rental space, delivering quality, high-quality experiences, I would say, for for travelers who want change, who are like, you know, fed up with the hotel system, all the Airbnbs and whatnot. The, the beautiful thing about Wander is Wander owns all the properties. So they, they have this amazing uh, human touch and the, the, the detail, like attention to detail and the care they, they put in all these properties make it you know, unique, right? Uh, he's also, he was the, the co-founder and CEO of Coder, a venture back in the day, uh, made strides, moving the development workstation to the cloud. So I want to talk about that experience as well. Yeah. And he was featured on, uh, on you know, Forbes under 30, 30 in 2019. That's a massive feat. And he received a prestigious Thiel Fellowship, which 100% I want to talk about uh, in the episode, taking a break from traditional you know, college path, spending two years, uh, owning all skills that you're kind of mastering right now. John, what an inspirational uh, journey so far. I'm pumped, uh, excited, yeah. fascinating entrepreneurial journey, I would say, you know, but right off the bat, let's talk about uh, Coder. Like you were kind of, I think other two founders, uh, you built this platform. What What happened? What is the transition like coding the software SaaS, like, you know, all that world to real estate, that's a big leap, right? <laughs> so what, what, talk to me about that journey. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can sort of give like a little bit more context. Cause obviously, you know, there's like a little bit of a jump from just like your daily life into starting, starting what, what turned out to be a, you know, a pretty decent sized venture back company. Um, you know, I've always, I've always been passionate about computers and software and building. I really attribute a lot of that, you know, to my pop. He was a, a single dad and constantly working. And, you know, as a kid, I would watch him work and be like, I want to, you know, I want to work like him. Um, and so I ended up, ended up starting a few companies when I was, you know, a kid, 13, 14, that, that did pretty well, like low six mm. figures in revenue. And, uh, I always joke meant that I wasn't focused on my homework much after that. Um, <laughs> but it was really that experience, right? And getting to mm. build and to fail and to learn at such a young age that really kind of 
just made me obsessed and passionate about building companies and product and brand and you know, mm. what that could what that can mean. You know, as you can imagine, when you're a kid, this idea that you can have outsized impact by collecting all these people and working towards this shared vision, it was just really mm. empowering. And so mm. that's sort of why I fell in love with it. Um, mm. You know, in terms of starting Coder, so. During those years, I met my co-founders, Kyle and Amar. Amar was one of the system administrators. Kyle was an, an engineer. And we would spend dozens of hours like just talking on Skype and working together and building these things. And mm. uh, the idea for Coder was actually Kyle's. Um, I remember the Slack or the Skype message like it was yesterday. He was like, I have an idea. And mm. my initial response was like, I'm in. Like it wasn't like that with our relationship back in the day. It was like, let's just wow. do it. We were, you know, kids just building yeah. companies. Um, so yeah, we ended up moving down to Austin. You know, I didn't, didn't go to college. You know, mm. we already, we started Coder while I was in high school, which I was doing online. So that gave me a lot of extra time and freedom, which wow. is something that I definitely recommend to young entrepreneurs. You know, if you're in high school and building a company, you know, talk mm. to your parents about potentially having some flexibility. I'll warn you that socially it's a little bit more difficult, but, mm -hmm. um, yeah, having that freedom and time as a kid is really special. Mm. And so, yeah, started the company, ended up doing pretty well. We raised about $45 million now has a bunch of massive enterprise customers and ran that as CEO through ages 18 through 23, uh, and all the way through series B. So, wow. So, uh, that's first of all, at the age of 18 kids are spending in beaches right like they're they're spending spring bay breaks and doing all sorts of nonsense most majority of them but it's so fascinating to see that you have you have a you have a set of clarity and uh, a straight path that you want to achieve so talk to me about at at that age you're you're prone to uh distractions right like you're kind of there are so many things you can you can go it can go wrong in many ways so how did the hell john <laughs> the 18 year old john stayed in the path like okay this is what i want to do uh, for the, for the longest continuer continuous of time like what driven you uh, do you have mentors uh, what who helped you like push you if you're taking like you know bad decisions or making yeah. wrong moves <clears throat> you know i've always I've always been very goal oriented, um, you know, constantly moving towards what your objectives are and like thinking in pretty, pretty massive time increments, you know, speaking, mm. speaking more personally, candidly, it's a little bit of a flaw of mine. You know, it's like, I'm 25 oh, really? and like, I spend so much time thinking about and building the future that a mm. lot of those distractions, you know, I just skip which isn't necessarily a good thing either, right? Like, I think it's hyper important to go out and spend time with your friends and these events and those different things. So mm. it's actually something that I actively have to work on is oh, saying yeah. like, okay, like go and have some adventure, go out like and, and do something with your you know friends or otherwise, as opposed to like, just, you know, being focused on the company. Like if you look at, you know, my calendar for just the last week, cause we're recording this on a Friday, it's like, mm -hmm. I've had seven flights this week. Like oh I've been God. all over the place. That's why like my background and hair and everything is a little bit of a mess. So people have to excuse me. Cause it's been a, no, no, it's, no. it's been a rough one. 
Um, you look like a million bucks, man. Thank you. I, <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, I would say that it's just, it's just a part of, you know, who I am. Um, mm. And I, I'd say that that got instilled in me at a pretty, pretty young age. You know, I've, I sort of set rules for life, what I wanted to do, who I wanted to be as a person, what I wanted to accomplish. And I'm a mm. firm believer in this idea that like there's only a few things that we know to be true and one of them is is that we only get one life or at least that's what it seems like um mm -hmm. depending on your religious exactly. beliefs and i just want to make the most of it like i want to have as few regrets as possible i just want to be a good person i want to treat people right i want to be kind i want to accomplish as much as i can help others accomplish their goals and yeah it forces you to take a pretty zoomed out point of view which you know, when you think that way, it can make it hard even to like enjoy the little things, you know, to a certain extent. But um, yeah, it's a double-edged sword, I guess is what I, I guess, I guess is what I would say. But for people who struggle with the opposite, I would say to really zoom out and think about your life as sort of this book that you're writing each and every day and to think about your mm -hmm. chapters and what you're going to be focused on and yeah, work backwards from your, from your goals and if things aren't moving at the pace that you want, then you, know, you may have to be a little bit more focused, but I, I highly recommend balancing it all. And also, of course, working on something you love, like mm -hmm. work-life harmony, I think is a really important concept, you know, where mm -hmm. your work and your life are so intertwined that you, you can't tell the difference. Yeah. So for some, I think mostly uh, people who are very passionate about building something for themselves and putting it out and finding people like themselves everybody loses the touch of or at least which is what which is which is life what is uh work right because it, it's all in the background we all constantly think about what about this feature what about this experiment totally. so that has the hustle mindset is always like on but why do you think about why, why, when did you when, when you said uh it's not a good thing elaborate like do you have any regrets in your yeah certainly your past past like you know yeah i mean i didn't go to prom because like i was too busy working on my companies like mm. you know like i put off like dating and like seeing friends and going out i mean like <clears throat> you know most kids are like going out and partying and like it's like i wasn't going out and drinking if you looked at my weekends and that's just still true to this day like my weekends i spent mm. working um and so it's, you know, the, the flip side to that, of course, there are the adventures that I've mm -hmm. had and, you know, like the, at least the accomplishments on paper, I, I still don't view myself as successful, even though I, I realize that that can sound weird. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you, there are certain moments and times and memories that you'll never get back. Like I will never be able to go to prom again right it's like that, mm. that chapter is closed and if i did it would be like weird right and so <laughs> like and there are certain moments too like when you have a kid right like that kid gets older no matter what you do and so you can never get that time back with them and i realize that that can be like i realize that that's a popular opinion specifically for older entrepreneurs um where they advocate the importance of not losing track of those moments um, mm. But it's something that I'm even cognizant of, you know, today. Mm. And that's not to say that I am not working literally every single day of the week, but mm. I find it very important. And this is even something that my board advocates to me, 
is like they'll be like john andrew like are you are you getting time to go and do the things that you're also supposed to be doing which you know theoretically also makes you a better operator you know getting a little mm -hmm. bit of a breath Mm -hmm. So it's, it's certainly a challenge. I think a lot of people, you know, probably suffer with it one way or the other and finding, finding that balance. But mm. yeah, I can say that I have certain regrets where I, um, I, I close certain doors and in, in pursuit of, in pursuit of my goals. And for the most part, 90% of those doors were good to close, but there should have mm. been a few that, that I was more open to. And how do you handle regrets? Yeah. So. I actually love fixing them. Um, okay. Like if, if it is fixable, like I will go back like a funny, a funny story. Um, so one of my, the other day I was out to dinner and I was talking about like my childhood with, you know, whoever it was. <clears throat> and this memory popped into my head that one of my friends was having a birthday party. And so was another one of my friends. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to split the time, you know, I'll go to one and then go to the other. What ended up happening though, was that a lot of people ended up going to that second person's party. So there were far fewer at the first ones. And I mm. recognized that. And I wish that I had been like, okay, I don't need to go to this second birthday party. Like, I'm just going to stay here with my first friend because there's less people here. And that's more important. That's more meaningful. Mm. Um, and so like, that was always a regret of mine, which sounds stupid, right? Like the types of regrets that John Andrew has are like relatively silly in that context, but like it, it, it bothered me. And so I reached out to him, haven't talked to this kid in like, you know, 15 years or whatever. And I was like, wow. Hey dude, like, I wish I'd stay to your party. And of course he's like, you know, like, Oh, like, <laughs> don't worry about it, whatever. Uh, but yeah, I, I just like, I like to make things right if I make a mistake and fix them. And, and not even if I make a mistake, but if I, if I wasn't like great. Um, mm. And if, if there are times too, where I can't go back and fix it, it's like recognizing it, apologizing for it. And then again, doing what you can to make it right. Or if not making sure that you never make that type of mistake again, because obviously we're not perfect i mean we're, mm -hmm. we're all super far from it but i think the pursuit is is important we're all working progress you know <clears throat> nobody's perfect we're all like this book that never ends uh, totally. till our last breath so what you said is true um the best way to handle regrets is having closures uh and for some things that you can't go back in time you just have to find peace with it uh, you just have to sit with yourself like the, the prompt thing you said you just have to make yourself like uh comfortable with it by not being there you know at that age going to that event whatever it is that particular you know in yeah, this, in this case, right i think closure is such an important thing uh i do practice that and sometimes it's hard uh because it not only makes you uncomfortable it is weird right like you you kind of are welcoming or digging in to these memories that that really hurt you right and it takes a lot of courage so i appreciate appreciate you for you know sharing sharing those things you yeah. know on the show I think, like, I think the big thing that i would advise to people to to whoever's listening is to also be cognizant of minimizing regrets as you make decisions. Mm -hmm. Like a regret mm -hmm. minimization framework I find is super important. And what I found is as I get older, candidly, I have 
very, very few regrets. I mm. mean, maybe it'll be like, you know, one at one once a quarter, as opposed mm. to like, you know, when you're a kid, it's, it's far more frequent. And again, those regrets, like the regrets that I have are like very like small potatoes. Like I'm very mm. self-reflective. I'm like my own worst critic. And so mm. like, I'm constantly striving for it to be the, the best that I can be and handle every situation perfectly. And that's, that's obviously not easy, but mm. to recognize like, and look through that lens and really focus on your accuracy in your decision-making, I think is a really important thing, especially for young people. You'll notice that mm. if you do that over the course of months, years beyond that, all of a sudden your life just becomes like a lot smoother. And I think most of the regrets happen because we tend to make decisions that, that, that reason, you know, that might feel like good on in that moment, but you know, in retrospect, it feels totally. bad, right. And talk to me about like your decision making, do you have any frameworks that you use now that yeah. you're, you're a quite successful founder, right? It's not, it's not your first endeavor. You build so many companies, you do raise millions of dollars, you hired so many awesome talent working with you. So it's a tough job. So that means tough job means tough decisions and sometimes you have to make it quickly. So explain or elaborate your decision making process. Yeah. So there are two types of decisions. They're reversible and non-reversible. And if it's a reversible decision, you want to take all the data and make it quickly. If it's a non-reversible decision, then your accuracy is far more important. And I find that humans are one of the few creatures in the world that can see the future, right? There's this mm -hmm. idea, and I'll, I'll give an example, that if you have a lot of time to think about a problem, you're more accurately able to predict the outcome, right? So if we were to use like a math equation, for example, if I was to ask you, like, what is... 46,399 divided by like the square root of like, whatever, like that's a complicated thing that you can't like do in your head off the bat. Right. Mm -hmm. Or at least I certainly can't. No, I can't. <laughs> but if I gave you an hour and right. a pen and paper, then you could. Right. Mm -hmm. And if I gave you a month, then you would have triple checked it a thousand times and you would have mm -hmm. certainty. And so it's this idea that in certain problems, especially ones that are complex, when you have the right tools and the right amount of time, you can be fairly accurate. Now, of course, mm -hmm. things change in a startup very quickly. There are all these external variables. It's not as black and white as a math problem. And so you, ha you have to redo the problem multiple times. You have to check and make sure that everything you assumed is correct and mm. you know, those different pieces. So... That's sort of how I think about it is, is this problem reversible or non-reversible? And if it's non-reversible, how important is it that I get it right? And then I'll allocate the appropriate amount of time. Now I won't reach this point of being paralyzed in my decision-making, but as, as, as you get further into your career, like, you know, and this is something that Jeff Bezos is, is famous for, it's, it's the importance of being correct as an executive. You know, one mm. of Amazon's virtues is that we're right a lot. And I think mm. that that's a really important idea. The thing that I would recommend to anyone listening, looking for some type of action to take out of this is start tracking your accuracy and your decision-making. So one thing I started a long, long time ago is I would write down the decisions that I made and then retroactively see if they were correct or not in hindsight. I would look mm. at 
were the things that I said accurate? So if I said, this is how we should do it and it was wrong, then I will go back and say, okay, like that was incorrect. And then I'll literally have an accuracy score for that day, for that week, for that month. And it doesn't mm. need to be something that's like super intensive. Like you don't need to, you know, kill yourself over it. But the idea is, is that you'll realize for a lot of people that you're saying things in absolutes, you're thinking about things like mm. so concretely and saying it. And then it turns out that you were wrong. I think a lot of people would be surprised like what their actual percentage was. So mm. I, I really strive to be as accurate as, as possible now. And I'll even express like how sure I am because I hate being wrong, like in that context. I shouldn't say mm. I hate being wrong. It's just like something I strive not to not to be. And so I'll say like I'm 80% sure. And then mm. even giving the team that variable and saying I'm 80% sure, but there's a 20% chance I'm wrong. It's like, then they'll be like, okay, that's enough wiggle room for us to go and hedge progress for us to go and explore other options. So that if this ends up not working out, then we know what we're going to do and how we're going to pursue in the future. I love the way you framed your answer. Uh, it seems like you solve it as a problem, everything that, that comes your way. Right. I love that because when you put it in an example saying, if I give you one hour, the outcome is different. If I give you this tool, the outcome is different. If I give this much time, the outcome is different. Oftentimes in startups, uh, and I think you can chime in here as well, people miss those variables. Everybody wants to solve a problem, but what they lack, including myself at most of times, is... I have to give enough time for myself to solve this or find enough tools to, or resources or people to actually contribute to that problem so that we can solve together, you know, if it's a team or individually. And that is really important. I, I love the way you framed and, and people approach decision makings through problem solving uh, and put it in a way with added resources, added time. Probably like, you know, the accuracy bit will improve over time. One curious question, you said uh, you will state uh, the accuracy when you, when you communicate to your team or, you know, when you make a decision. Couple of questions. When were you 100% sure about a decision? Can you explain, can you, all, can you share some of the moments that you are like, wow, this is like bang on. And you look back like 10 years ago and like, okay, these are the 100%. And... Talk to me about which went wrong too. Like yeah. I'm 100% sure, but <laughs> the outcome is not 100%. So yeah, two questions there. Yeah. So I would say, first of all, that 100% certainty is exceptionally rare. That only happens on things that are black and white. <clears throat> you know, getting to high certainty and having them work out well is actually like a pretty common occurrence. I can mm. look at like the team, the branding decisions that Wander has made, like all of those different, I mean, there are so many on candidly building a, building a successful company. And, and to be clear again, like I view myself and my career and my companies at such early stage that like, I would, I would never say that they're successful, especially like when you consider like the ones that truly are, um, 
So I want to make sure that everyone like understands that within within the context. So um, one thing I have to I have to tell people as well: you're very modest. You you can tell uh, John because you've done, man. The, the the resume itself is so impressive. So uh, I just want to acknowledge that you've done phenomenal work. But I will I will I will uh, work with you in in the in that topic that you're still early. But to me, I think you know you're you're. at least for me like you know five six steps ahead of me well yeah i appreciate that and you're yeah you're going you're doing phenomenal things as well so um yeah so anyway like what i was saying there are very few decisions that are 100% the majority are high 80s high 90s and those tend to work out well and they tend to be pretty mm-hmm. pivotal right mm-hmm. talking about whatever domain or handle like to you mm-hmm. know like pursue a certain strategy that everyone says will not work but you've done the math and you think that it will mm-hmm. you know i think the ones that are always unfortunate is that when you have a pretty high um conviction that you're correct yet you 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 end up being incorrect um and so it's really important to constantly again reevaluate if the decision you made was correct and then if not what variables changed you asked me like what decisions i've made historically where i was you know thought i was doing something correct and it was just wrong mm. um all of them had to do with external variables that ended mm. up turning against my favor Um, mm. I've had it countless times where I'll interview users for a new product and all of a sudden mm. over the course of 5 months there's some type of massive shift in consumer behavior or the macro or otherwise mm. that like now the idea doesn't work. And that's mm. why you hear a lot of founders and VCs talk about this idea of timing. Mm. You know timing is also something that's so <clears throat> critical and also why speed is really important as well. Like yeah. you know starting I'll give you a great example like starting a crypto company I mean gosh however many years ago like back in the early days of crypto right could be a great idea maybe you'll build the coinbase right there's so right, much right. blue ocean starting a right. crypto company today especially let's just say it's like a wallet company or something mm. like it doesn't doesn't really make any sense like there's so mm. much competition the timing's terrible there's no vc funding mm. and so yeah. and like the the users aren't as passionate about it in the current macro and like, to be clear like this is not a like hit on crypto like like I'm a huge fan of like you know blockchain yeah, as a technology yeah. and beyond but right, um, right. the I was just giving an example of like how timing oh, really timing. affects things right, um, right. so I'd say that those are the big ones is that the sand began to shift underneath my feet and I wasn't paying attention fast enough mm. And so I was still obviously like very quick and adjusting course. But mm. I would say that that's really the big thing to watch out for is mm. are things changing? Are the variables changing? And then candidly the best way to do it is just make the decision again. So like you think about it like I'll give I'll give an even better example like ask yourself would I hire this person again? Like they can be at the company, they can be working mm. for you, they can be doing great things and just ask yourself the question like would I hire this mm. person again? And if the answer is no then obviously something changed and you need to make those adjustments. And that mm. goes for product decisions, branding, marketing, all that sort of fun stuff. So I I I think it's good to to ask yourself the hard questions over and over and over again as time passes and variables change. Mm. And when when those first of all that's an amazing answer. Uh I love the way you said, you know, you are right in a way, but the variables are wrong 
meaning you know the timing is wrong the people change behavior changes and all that how do you handle such moments like when you put so much effort this is a, a lot of people give up there i don't know if you can see uh it is a little blurred yeah uh, i can recognize it from the blur the you yeah, are yeah, here yeah yeah this is like this is pointless this is one of the famous um things jack butcher did one of my favorite creators uh, he's the, he's the number one guest on this podcast grateful for that i love that because around that point where you know it's like kind of like a like a boiling point right like if you push yourself a little bit you will make it right people give up because they surrender to external constraints or you know variables so how do you handle those situations you know how do you pivot so fast adapt to the situation where do you find that energy and courage yeah so i guess the first thing that i'll say is that like i have a remarkably like high pain tolerance like i just like i just can't quit like mm. i would have to like you know be dead or like paralyzed to like stop working um especially on something that i believe in um you know in terms of you know that that being said if you're working on something that is a wrong idea or the wrong strategy just trying to like power your way through it like won't get you where you need to go like it's just mm-hmm. going to be extra painful an extra amount of time and like it may not work like if you think about it does it make more sense for me to go and dig a hole with a shovel or go and find an excavator and like a, like and a lot of founders will just go and start digging with a shovel and it's like that's where you need to be a little bit thoughtful you need to plan you need to like do all those things and really strategize it does take a lot of i mean courage is the right word for it i actually found myself reading a book about the importance of courage to reestablish that in myself as you know you continue along right it's like when you when you're running a company you you know of course again like you're wrong some percentage of the time and that can cause sure. you to lose courage and so it's right. like you have to figure out that balance and ensure mm-hmm. that like that core piece of yourself stays stays true but to mm. tell a little bit of a story and I'll never forget this at coder we spent probably close to 2 years building our first product it was a consumer ID we like built it ourselves it was in the browser at the time it was like groundbreaking right because you have to remember that like the stuff didn't really exist <laughs> and we had just launched and we saw users start to skyrocket we had raised our seed round from redpoint and uncork it was like a 4 million dollar seed and again at the time i was like super young like i couldn't even drink and we turned on monetization and no one paid 60,000 users no one paid wow. and i remember looking at that looking at this you know 30 person team and talking with my co-founders and saying that this is the best way to monetize and that if this doesn't work it's not a matter of refining the product or whatever else it's just it's not working we need to we need to pivot we need to adjust mm. and even though we had plenty of cash in the bank and the like within call it a week we made the decision to start start the pivot we explored three options ended up going down the enterprise route moving you know enterprises development environments to the cloud which ended up being the right decision 
Mm. And, you know, ended up having to let go of some incredibly talented people who were working on mm. parts of the company that were no longer relevant. And so, like, we did that all in a very short amount of time, a lot of which was because, like, when you're losing money, when your company is, like, losing money, time is not your friend. And so, like, for us, it was just all about the speed of execution. And it certainly was scary and it sucked and the morale was terrible inside of our little office. I mean, I mm. even, like, remember buying an office cat to try and, like, cheer people up. Like, wow. it's like, you know, like that kind of like silliness. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like the vibe was super down. It's like, we worked so hard on this mm. product and it, we were shutting it down. Right. And when I say work so hard, I mean, 14 hour days plus every single day, including weekends. And that was for the team. Like that wasn't even just for me as the founder, oh, that yeah. was like the entire team. People yeah. like gave their, like, you know, their soul to, to, pushing right. and we ended up building something that was incredible, but it right. certainly wasn't something that people were willing to pay for. And mm. then, you know, three, four months later, we got through that, you know, like those moments, we ended up launching code server, which is now one of like the most broadly used developer tools out there. It's like millions and millions of downloads and all that sort of cool stuff. And then, you know, now it's like, you have all these massive fortune 500 companies that like write their software on coder. Um, mm. But it's, yeah, it's, it's hard and it sucks. Um, but you have to be very candid with yourself. Um, mm. and then, yeah, you need to have some courage and you need to push through. Mm. And what was the book? I'm curious. What was the book you read? I can't remember it off the top of my head. I'll pull it up while we, uh, while we chat. No, I promise cool. I won't like start doing emails or something on you. <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, you. That's that's amazing. I think courage is literally in the title, which is, is funny. Courage to be disliked. I, I think, I don't should think be it's that. that because it's it's one of the famous books. Uh, I was courage. I was... Courage is calling. Fortune oh. favors the brave by Ryan Holiday. Mm, yeah. Awesome. I yeah, great book. I recommend it. Yeah. First of all, let me tell you this: it's really, really amazing to hear that story. You know. All of your answers are so amazing because you have like a, you have an innate story behind it. And I love the way you kind of like, you know, bring them to life. Yeah. Every, everything that I've learned is through experience. Yeah. Mm. Um, and of course, too, I'm very lucky to have some incredible mentors. I mean, if, if you think about it, like on coders board, you have legendary investors. Alex mm. Bard, Glenn Solomon, you know, Andy McLaughlin, like imagine having those people like around you. Those are the people you're hanging out with as a 18 year old, <laughs> 19 year old kid. Wow. And then your employees, right. Are massively tenured. They've lived whole other lives beyond like where you are. Like right. those are the people that I was hanging around with. And so mm. I'm very, very cognizant that who I am today is very much a reflection of just how fortunate I was to be surrounded mm. by such incredible people. And that's why mm. too, I always try and like, just remember that and learn as much as I can from everyone around me. Like I'm one of those mm. people who like, when I meet someone new, it's like, I want to, I want to understand who they are and what they think and what I can learn from them, regardless mm. of who they are, how quote unquote successful they are or not. Cause obviously like everyone has something to teach us, but 
yeah. yeah, I can say certainly that like who I am is just a lot of like blood, sweat and tears and being incredibly fortunate to be surrounded by such amazing people. And then also, of course, to be born in such an incredible country that gave me those opportunities to have a father who was willing to raise me like mm. on his own. And then also too, when you're handed this kid who wants to not go to high school and like wants to not go to college and doing all these right. things to support right. that. I mean, yeah, I, I am so incredibly lucky. And, um, and yeah, I, I think that, I think it would be ignorant to think otherwise. Oh no, no. I appreciate you for, for telling that as well, because a lot of pieces should come together right and i think this is uh this is a quote not a quote i might i might butcher this fred rogers i said this quite quite many times and i kind of reminisce you know once in a while you're you're the kind of you're the output of the people surrounded by you and 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 a lot of pieces should come together meaning a lot of people should help you so that you make your dreams come true it's not so it's always it's not an alone journey. It's like a together journey. So yeah, no one, no one, no one can get here. Like no one can get to this earth without the help of others. Like if you yeah. think about it like that, it's like, you can't even, you can't even be born without the impact mm. of, of others. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think recognizing that is really important. And of course too, it's not like, it's not like life rolls out a red carpet for you. Like you have to increase mm. your surface area of getting lucky. And obviously, mm -hmm. like you have to work incredibly hard in that. And of course, too, like, you know, I've had a lot of very unfortunate things like happen in my life in early childhood as well. But it's mm. it's recognizing like, yeah, it's just recognizing like how fortunate you are and making sure that you don't waste that opportunity. I think is super important. Right. Gratitude is is a, is a fuel, right? <clears throat> Absolutely. And once you once you have that mindset, it will never go away. Once you start uh, thinking about what you have and what you want really fade away, you know, uh, the, the desire to get what you want will slowly fade away because of what you have. And of course we have to, we all have to, you know, chase some dream, chase an ambition, uh, inspire others. And all that is on, on paper is really good. Amazing. But personally, I, I think I like your mindset. Uh, one thing how do you start from zero? Like when you, when you said about you build this incredible product at quarter, spend two years, 30 people team, no output, nothing happened. None of the needle moved. You have to start, start from zero, you know, in a, in a way. Talk to me about that. Uh, the transition, like, you know, yeah. In, in that age, at that age, um, what were th some things that really worked for you that you want to pass on to others? Yeah, starting starting from zero is is difficult, but candidly, it's not the most difficult thing that you'll do. Really, I would say starting. I mean, people have quotes like back and forth on this, right? Like because it sounds good, they're like starting is the most difficult thing you can do. It's like no, like starting is the easiest thing. Like mm. building building something is really difficult. Um, and the other piece of advice I'd give to any founders or people working in early stage companies is that it never gets easier, like point blank, never gets easier. Yeah. Like the problems just get bigger and more challenging. And the other thing to recognize is if you're the CEO, 
there is a literal funnel of all of the most difficult problems in the company that make their way to you. Like by definition, I work on the things that other people don't want to work on or can't. And right. so like, you know, that's why like, you know, when I was a kid, like the people at Coder would call me like the shovel because it's like I would just shovel whatever <laughs> it was that needed to be shoveled. And so, mm. you know, starting from starting from zero is difficult. I think it's more scary than anything else. But like, I think a positive attitude and then building momentum is so key. Like momentum begets mm. momentum, like just get started, get like grinding, start working on it. Like, and again, plan beforehand is like the big thing I recommend again, like humans can see the future, spend, spend some time planning before, like, let's say this, if it's going to take you four years to build a product, then like, you should probably plan a little bit and mm. like try and forecast if people actually want it. Um, mm. so that's, that's my advice is like plan ahead of time then get to work, build the momentum, go quickly, have massively positive energy and just check things off that list. Like you'll make a list in the early days and check things off. And if it works great and if it doesn't, then adjust quickly, keep going. Momentum. I think that's the key. That's the key takeaway. Uh, <clears throat> momentum, I think is the oxygen for any startup, right? If momentum dies, basically you're, you're dead. Um, oh, growth is so critical. I mean, and yeah. there's actually even like very logical, like ties to the public markets that you can draw on why, like how it's actually valued. Like you mm. can assign a dollar value to the growth rate of a company. You'll have mm. one company that's doing a billion dollars a year in revenue that's growing at 10% year over year, and it'll be valued at two, 3 billion. Or you mm. can have another one that's doing a billion dollars a year, but is growing 2x year over year. And it'll be a $10 billion company. And so it's not just like, mm. oh, it's really important for team morale and all these things and the customer. It's like there's a, an actual enterprise value creation with mm. your speed and rate of growth in a, mm. you know, in a startup. Now you have to make sure that you're not like growing to your death, right? Like you can't scale negative unit economics and like right, hire right. a bunch of overpaid people and all those different things, which is really hard, especially again, as like your board is pushing you and things look good and all that fun stuff. Hmm. You can't do that. Right. But like, yeah, growth rate is super important. And there is a shift where it goes from like creating an idea, finding idea market fit to building a product, finding product market fit to then for a founder, you end up making this transition to managing to the metrics. It's this hmm. idea of like managing the back book. And like, that's something that, you know, obviously isn't talked about very often because so few companies actually reach that stage. Like there's so mm. much content about the early days of a startup and all that fun stuff. I feel like there's a lot of founders who like reach this point where like, okay, now I need to scale, like things are going well. And they're like all left, like with no mm. books, no guidance, no, like there's far fewer mentors, right? If you think about it, how many people mm. like started a startup versus how many people exited something for like a great, you know, great outcome. Right. So yeah, it shifts as you can, as you can imagine your priorities shift, your job shifts and the faster you do it. I mean, you're effectively like hiring yourself out of a job every like three to six months. So. Right. Oh man. The, the, I have so many questions, but I definitely want to be mindful about the time. Talk to me about, uh, the foundation. You know, how did you get into it? Uh, 
what kind of impact it made in your life? Yeah, so Founders Fund invested in Coder's seed round. Uh, so that's how I, I had that connection. That was that was something that um, the, the first person I met at Founders Fund was actually Peter himself. Um, mm. And he immediately like kind of passed me on to the rest of the partnership. And they're incredible, by the way. Like what a 10 out of 10 firm in every mm. respect, candidly. Like they're they're really solid. I mean, obviously I know mm. that they're a little bit controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, so not like diving into politics, but right, right, like right. They, they are a very good firm. Um, and, and so, you know, I got pinged effectively from them saying, hey, there's this like, you know, the Teal Fellowship thing, which I was aware of. Um, but you should, you know, hop on, on the phone with this, you know, woman who is absolutely incredible. Um, and like, you know, talk through it and and see if it's something you want to do. Uh, typically it's an application process. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit different in in that capacity. Typically you apply, Mm -hmm. it gets reviewed, interviews, et cetera. Um, you know, for, for me, it was a little bit more like recruited, um, Mm -hmm. But I, I went and did the interviews in LA. That was one of the last years that they did the interviews in person. And you get to interview with incredible people like Dylan Field, right? Which like this was oh. before Figma like exited. Yeah, yeah. And so right. getting to like talk and hang out with him and Josh Browder and all these like really remarkable people. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, you'll have to excuse my pups in the background. Um, no worries, no worries. And, uh, and so, yeah, you know, it's like, went through it was was lucky enough to to be picked they pick about 20 20 kids every year out of you know they don't they don't share the public numbers but it's it's far far a far lower acceptance rate than the top universities um like by like a pretty pretty massive amount Mm. um and, and and i would say too like the thing the thing for us, like when I, when I got in, we were just closing coders series a, so we just got in our series a term sheet and we're closing that. And, you know, I'd say the most valuable piece was, um, just the fact that I wasn't alone. Like, as you can imagine being like 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 and building a company is super, super lonely. Like. Mm all your friends are going to college or like quote unquote friends. Cause realistically, like there's no founders who like young founders are putting their day in day out who have many friends like Mm. by definition, cause you're giving it all to your company. Mm. So it's like, I should say all the people, you know, are going to college and doing all these things. And like, you're building this company and the stress and the problems you're dealing with are adult problems. Mm -hmm, And it's mm -hmm. like, I have, you know, 30, 40 people, 50 people, that if I fail, like they can't pay their mortgage. Like that's a big mm. fucking deal. Right. And, or at right. least I think it is. I know a lot of founders of don't care about that stuff, but like I do. And mm. so like the idea that like, you know, the Teal Foundation put together the 20 other kids in the world who are like exploring and experiencing those same things at various stages, obviously, like some were earlier than, than me, for example, like, you know, was really cool. And like some of those kids have like ended up being like truly great friends of mine. Um, mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful. I think that without it, like I, you know, I'd have, yeah, I, I would go from like an already small group of friends to, to an even smaller one. Mm. Wow. 
one one decision or one bet i would say can change people's life right what are some bets you took in your in your founder career that actually changed people's lives i mean gosh i mean all i do is take bets like <laughs> right like you know starting coder certain product decisions like accepting certain partners in terms of investors scheduling meetings like all those different things it's constant who to hire like all these different changes um strategy and directional shifts i mean yeah i mean who who i am and where i am today is a collection of the positive bets that paid off and then obviously mm-hmm. subtracting the ones that didn't of course and so yeah. it's yeah i mean i would say that like it is literally thousands and thousands of decisions that i have had to make from everything from like little product design to distribution and marketing strategies to like approvals for you know spend or everything else even what books that i read and like really? like when i when i pick a book to read like i i go i don't just go like oh what's a good book like i'll like i don't just go through a list of like here are the 20 books that an entrepreneur needs to read i'll think about what mm-hmm. i'm struggling with and then hunt for whatever whatever resource can help solve that you know again mm-hmm. we talked about like the courage piece like i felt mm-hmm. like that was something that i needed to re up and like mm-hmm. you know like that's that's a natural trait of mine but like i needed to like remind myself of it yeah. and so even that is like a bet right it's like i'm betting that it's worth spending the time yeah. for me to read this book and that it's going to have some positive <clears throat> output so i know it's not a very like concrete answer but it's just there are so many bets that you have to take every single day i mean yeah. i've probably made like just just today alone like we finished probably like 6 hours of team meetings and budget reviews and goal reviews and all that sort of stuff cuz we do it on Fridays instead of Mondays cuz we we like to work over the weekend like mm. again like not work over the weekend don't want to like stress people out but like <laughs> i find it useful for me to do those reviews on a friday so that i get to spend some extra time and mm. like make that transition mm. so in any event um yeah i've i've probably made like 100 decisions today already that's that's an overstatement. Maybe it's like maybe it's like 10, 10 <laughs> good ones hopefully. So, wow, it's amazing. If you want to pinpoint um one other decision today, just today, that will change again, not to reveal much, but uh, Yeah, I mean I can I can name one. Um so like I mentioned as a startup you transition from just finding product market fit to scaling. Right. And you run into this idea of again like managing to your metrics. This is something that the Wander board Alex Bard and from Redpoint and then Chucky Reddy from QED have been really exceptionally helpful with. Mm. And you basically you have what you call plan, right? So it's like your pace of scale. So for Wander mm. it's homes onboarded, you know, like occupancy, like all these all these numbers, users, etc., etc., etc. And so you have to as a founder basically like set and analyze that plan alongside finance. It's basically like the quote unquote boring stuff, right? Like but it it impacts the rest of the company because if I say, "Hey, I want to go from you know, 10 homes a month to 25 homes a month by the end mm-hmm. of call it Q2," mm-hmm. then like what is that hiring impact? And then what's that burn impact? 
And then of course you need to ensure that like, those are all great people. And so a lot of the decisions that were made today was managing to those hyper-specific metrics and numbers and basically mm. me trying to forecast and set the future and say, okay, here are all the things that this company needs to do. And then the time that I spent was aligning the entire leadership team around that so that everyone knows exactly where we're marching and why we're marching. And then after this interview, just to like walk you through like the phase two of that is I'll go and record a video for the rest of the team. Cause obviously mm. like I won't be able to talk to them all one-on-one and mm. we love async. So we don't like doing, you know, all hands where everyone needs to like ruin their day. So I'll record a video and explain exactly what we're doing, why we're doing it, the importance pieces to focus on mm. and gain alignment. So, you know, it's one of those things where like, if, if wander, uh, yeah, I mean, effectively, it's like the decisions that I'm making today are um, will 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 determine like is Wander fundable for a Series B in six mm -hmm. months, and what right. scale is it, and did we expand internationally, and how many homes do we have and locations and all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so so yeah, it's pretty important. And it's important I get it right too. Like make mm -hmm. sure that I do all of that within the con the constraints of the capital that we have and. Right. All those different pieces. So let's talk about Wander. First of all, <laughs> that's amazing. Thanks for revealing that. Uh, let's talk about Wander from coder to Wander. It's two different worlds. You're, you're dealing with two different things completely, like quite different spectrum uh, at the end of different spectrums. So A, why? why? Why can't you just start another coder or be in the same space, maximize your impact with minimum effort and do even a great job, like building some other developer tool or whatever it is. Number two, why real estate? It's such a messy thing. <laughs> it's yeah. like, do you have, uh, do you have experience in that or, you know, how did you fit in? Yeah. So Wander is obviously like very different from Coder in terms of the end product, in terms of the customers. There are of course like lots of similarities running one startup to the other in terms of the importance of team and culture and quality and brand and all those different pieces that like do transfer regardless of like what, what industry you're working on. I think that like you can look at some great founders and to be clear, like I'm not comparing myself to them, but you look at like Elon, right? It's like zip two to a payments company, which like you mm. would say that's a big shift to then like SpaceX, like that's an even bigger <laughs> shift. And then like electric cars. And and it doesn't make us, it doesn't really make sense until you learn who that person is, right? And it turns out that Elon, you know, loved electric cars and wrote papers on them. And, you know, as a kid would mm. read books about space and sci-fi and all of a sudden it starts to make a little bit more sense. You know, like for me, like, I would travel around with my pop everywhere. And like, I've been to, you know, every state, dozens of countries, like all before, like hmm. I grew up and that made me fall in love with hospitality and travel and like all these different pieces. And so when I, you know, when I stepped down from coder, I was like, you know, what do I want to build? How do I want to spend the rest of my life? Now, candidly, like the idea for wander was not something that I expected to build. Hmm. It just happened to keep me up at night. Like I just couldn't ignore it. 
Like I had that idea shortly after stepping down from Coder alongside a lot of like enterprise B2B type software companies. Mm. And like I made an explicit choice that like mm. after trying to kill the idea on paper for three months that this is what I wanted to build and how I wanted to spend my life because I thought it would have an impact and make it more interesting. And I was certainly right. I mean, again, like, you know, I started, it's like this week, this week was San Francisco to Portland, Portland to Boulder, Boulder to San Diego, San Diego to Seattle, wow. Seattle, I'm in Austin. And then it's like, I'm here for the next like two days. And then it's like on, on the wow. road again. And it's like, what a great adventure. Like, mm. so, so I think that, um, you know, it certainly, certainly is, is different than like what I had built previously, but also like building great software, building a great user experience, certain cultural dynamics or things that are just like who I, who I am. And so, yeah, when you, when you look at Wander, when someone goes to wander.com, if they're ever wondering like, who is John Andrew, it's right. like this, this company is a reflection of me in in every mm -hmm. respect. And it's obviously like not entirely perfect, but I'm certainly trying to make it so. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I feel incredibly lucky to be working on this company every day with the team. And we got very lucky that this idea turned out to be something that people wanted. Mm. And it's again, like real estate is such a, uh, such a traditional thing, I would say, like not, not many tech, um, <clears throat> folks solved it like apart from you know the airbnbs of the world uh when you entered do you know that you can do it alone number one you have to hire people and i think you need capital and you have to raise money how did you convince investors when it comes to like credibility for this particular problem that you want to solve what was like your pitch and how did how did you get their buy-in yeah, I mean, I was fortunate that all of really all of of Wander's early investors, to some extent, had seen me work before in Coder. They had mm. observed how I how I execute the teams that I build, how quickly I move, and I was very fortunate that that was something <clears throat> that meant that they wanted to work with me again. Um, so that's probably not really like actionable advice for a first time founder. So I'll, <laughs> I'll go, I'll go earlier in my life to me raising my seed round for coder. Um, mm. and it's actually very similar in the context of, you know, we, we didn't even have, I didn't even have a LinkedIn. It was like super young, like in my teens still had no connection to Silicon Valley, knew no investors, knew no one. And of course was also in Austin, which is not San Francisco where like you can throw mm -hmm, a rock mm -hmm. and hit a VC. And so <laughs> like what I did was, is like, we kept building the product and I just started cold emailing people. And I was like, this is what we're building. Like, please talk with me. And what ended up happening was, is that it wasn't that they like took the meeting because of who I was or my credibility. They took the meeting because the product was like so radical and intense and like real mm. and the branding was real and that there was clearly like this monstrous amount of work and effort that had been put in to a company that had hadn't been funded and so 
you know, when, uh, when they saw that, when they started having the conversations and then obviously like understood, you know, who we were as, as entrepreneurs and founders, then, you know, things very, very quickly shifted. Uh, and then as the product started to gain traction, then obviously it was a completely different story. Um, mm. so that's my biggest advice is like, show, show people, show people who you are, show them how great you are, show them the output. And mm. I promise you that like a, a VC's job is to find high potential individuals and to fund them. And so mm. you have to be like relentless and show the world like just what you can do and who you are. And then if you like, if you talk to them and show them from, from the time we started the conversations with those investors to the time that we closed the round, you know, Coder had gone from like zero to 60,000 users. It was like wow. a product that was like, people were massively excited about. And again, turned out that the monetization like didn't work in that variant, but that's where like, who did you invest in also comes into play. And like mm -hmm. the investors, you know, like they asked me, they said like, what are you gonna do if you run out of money? Right. And my answer was uh, that I am going to go to McDonald's and mm -hmm. I am going to work as a fry cook and I'm gonna feed food <laughs> to my co-founders and we're gonna keep this company alive <laughs> and they, they're like, okay, that's a pretty wild answer. Like you're supposed to say that you'd raise a bridge round or something, but it's like, we'll take it. <laughs> and it's, it's like, you know, those are the type of people that you want to invest mm. in is you mm. want to invest in a great idea led by like someone who's never going to quit. And like, this is their life. Um, and yeah, if you want to raise money, you have to be that kind of person too. Um, obviously a lot of bad people, you know raise sure. money as well. Um, but that's also why a lot of companies don't work out. Right. Right. I think, uh, 99.9% success depends on not giving up. Right. Totally. It's that like classic Paul Graham essay, right? Don't die. Yeah. Don't die. Uh, I love that. <clears throat> and when you explored wander, what was like the first initial is, are you still pursuing the initial idea? Did you pivot? What, what are some lessons you learned? Because, yeah. uh, it's, it's slightly different from Airbnb. Airbnb lets people, you know, come join their platform. It's like a, like a marketplace, but wonder is something that you, you have that control, you have that end to end control and you offer on top of it. Like I love the feature I might, you know, try someday also have homes with teslas right like that's that's an additional feature which i love uh you kind of are giving a whole package for people who want to work who want to have a good vacation etc cetera, etc cetera. is that the initial idea or did, did it change over time yeah i can explain the idea pretty pretty simply and um and the thesis behind it and it's really that vacation rentals short-term rentals are a growing percentage of lodging. So now they're anywhere between 15 and 19% of lodging, depending on which study you read, which is mm. hundreds of billions of dollars of transaction volume, millions of users, like pretty massive amounts of capital and, and money flowing around. Mm. And obviously supporting massive public market caps like Airbnb, which is an obviously like incredible company. And I also think Brian is like super badass. <laughs> My thesis was that if you look at the rest of hospitality and lodging 
you have all of these known brands, right? Four Seasons, Ritz-Carlton, Marriott, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that users gravitate towards because they know that there's going to be consistency and quality sure. and all of these other things. And that's something that obviously like a marketplace typically lacks, right? Mm -hmm, it's discoverability mm -hmm. versus like knowing what you're going to get. And right. so my idea with Wander was effectively, what if we could create a consistent and quality experience across a portfolio of all of the most incredible locations and create mm. a strong brand and distribution around that and effectively mm. create this like entirely new, like experience where like, it was like the hotelification of vacation rentals. Mm. And so everything that we do is in pursuit of that big idea. And everything that we do in that vein is also in pursuit of helping our users find their happy place, right? This idea mm. of, you know, making it so that you can go on this incredible adventure and stay at this incredible home that like, you know, in this place that you didn't even know exists and have memories with your loved ones and have happiness and joy and all those different pieces. So that's the, that's the big theme behind Wander. And in terms of scale, it's really just like, adding as many locations across the US and then, you know, starting in 2024, like across the globe and basically mm. building this like really incredible network of, of places for people to, to stay. It's this idea of like the infrastructure to experience the world is like what I want it to turn into. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's the company. And, um, how are you navigating the, the heavy lifting because buying a property redesigning it or rebuilding it or even aligning it to your values and your standards yeah the ones that you promise to the the customers it's a lot of it's a lot of work so totally how are you navigating that uh with the with the team and what are you what are you like you know what decisions are you making in those uh in in buying these homes and making them yeah, so Wander, Wander has two supply side strategies. So one is ownership, and then the other is mm. when we take control of the asset on behalf of the property owner, basically like, you know, operating the property to our standard, very similar to how a hotel does it, right? These hotels now are entirely asset light. They own mm. very little real estate, and they basically operate it to their, to their standard. And another easy way to think about it is like a franchise. Um, mm. And so... You know, bringing, bringing a home to standard obviously costs money. You know, we're, we're mm -hmm. fortunate that in our model, that's something that the owners of the properties pay for. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's basically around operationalizing the logistics. Like, you know, every home is also, you know, unique, but of course, like a lot of things are very similar. And so as you scale and do more and more, the operations become like more unified and less, less complex and obviously more yeah. organized. Um, and so it is, it is certainly a lot of work, but when you actually look at like the, the value of each location in a wander model, because we obviously focus on, on homes that are really special, um, mm -hmm. like it makes, it makes a lot of sense. They're all, they're all profitable because the costs are, are offloaded to the, mm -hmm. to the owner they're all profitable within year one. So, mm. and I think I saw this on Wander's website. You also encourage people to buy properties and you help them uh, make a living, right? Like as a passive income, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. So um, if, if someone's interested in basically like purchasing a Wander type property, like we can surface right. opportunities to them 
And, mm. you know, I wouldn't say in the current rate environment that I would recommend <laughs> it as like a, um, like a way to like get rich quick. Mm. Like that's not the vibe, but it certainly mm. is an incredible way to invest in real estate, specifically a potential second home and mm. have the property, you know, cover all expenses, if not throw off some, some free cash flow as well. So that's very interesting to me because it so i we recently bought a home and my god it's such a messy thing it's not it's a, it's a full job absolutely yeah it's so time consuming it's so demanding uh, but i think i love i love what you're doing and I, I would love to see that program expanded to uh just home buyers or like second home buyers totally uh, because i think it will make a massive impact because the it's like it's like iPhone when you live in a BlackBerry world. <laughs> yeah, it's right? it's really um, yeah, can candidly like we um, yeah, we're very lucky that our users love our product so much. Like our our customer satisfaction is like ninety three percent, which wow. you know for like context, birthdays in America are eighty nine percent. So. <laughs> It's like people love this product and that's a real, that's a real like score, by the way. That's not like, that's a, how would you rate your experience on a scale of one to 10? Like if it's raining, someone will give us an eight. Like, so it's sort of like, yeah, it's, um, it's certainly a lot of work, but it's incredibly high mode as well. And I think that that's something that a lot of founders forgot and a lot of VCs certainly forgot is that if you can build a company to the moon in a year, like mm. it's probably pretty low moat. And I think like we saw a lot of that, like, you know, like FTX being like a great example, yeah. obviously like there yeah. was some deep fraud committed there as mm -hmm. well, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's like, you know, that went from like zero to billion dollars plus mm -hmm. in revenue in like a year and then it imploded. Yeah. Like, you know, so it's like building something that's really valuable takes time. You're looking for like good compounding growth you're looking for something that's high moat and if you think about wander's moat it's like we control the properties we control the distribution we control the brand like it's a it's a platform mm. it's mm. not just like a marketplace mm. it's like yeah, a that's real, why, yeah it's a real platform uh, that's one thing i love about wander is that you have control like the, the it's not like you're over promising and delivering you promise and you you keep that promise right and the cool thing is <laughs> it's like how you're taken care of as well like if you reach mm. out to airbnb support they can't uh, again, yeah. Airbnb being like a different example, but like the point is, is that people can't, people can't solve the problems in the way that we can. Like right. we are deeply, tightly integrated. Like I'm, I'm personally looking at every piece of customer feedback and input. Like we are very much dedicated to building a hell of a product and it's certainly going to be very difficult and time consuming, but we yeah. have this one thing that so few others do, which is people love it and mm. it's like if you build something that people love and people want like then yep, obviously you know, scaling it is difficult but that's like you know chapter one is like build yep. this classic yc statement right build something people want yeah so i love it that's why <laughs> it looks good <laughs> i appreciate it really means the world to me so yeah i love i love the vibe when when you guys launched in 2021 uh, I think Kyle Tibbetts, you know, I follow him on Twitter. He's a machine. Uh, the way Kyle, he does Kyle is the best CMO I've ever worked with. Yeah, he's a machine. If anyone and tries I... to poach him, by the way, from this, like I will like be very angry. <laughs> uh, 
Like that's a hell of an endorsement. You know, Kyle's, Kyle's obviously very, very, very invested in Wander. Um, yeah. And also he, he views it the same way I do. Like we've seen enough startups to know that Wander has yeah. the potential to be something really rare. Yeah, um, and very and really big too. Not just rare. It's going to be very big. I, I'm bullish on it. Wanna wanna? I know we're we're a little over time. Wanna have a couple of questions. What's next for Wander? What is the insane, ridiculous dream that you have for Wander that you haven't shared with anyone? Not even <laughs> with your team. That's like one of the things I I had in my mind when I was actually going through Wander's website. Feel free to like, you know, shut it down. I think just the way uh, rental, short rental industry sucks, you know, flighting, the flights suck, man. Like it's uh, it's one of the things I hate. The whole process is so messy. It's still, you know, 40 years backwards. You still have to like do a lot, lot of paperwork in, you know, all the, all the shit. Like if you lose a baggage, it's shit. I think Wander should make it complete package, meaning literally from your doorstep to Wander's doorstep. I would yeah. love to see that. That's, I think, the ridiculous dream I kind of manifest for you guys, but I would love to hear your your take. No, I mean, I love it, right? It's the idea for Wander, again, like if you were to say, like, what's under Wander's scope? The big scope is, is the infrastructure to experience the world. Like the product and what we're doing today is going to be just one small piece if we end up being a rare and important company of what Wander will be. In the same way that Amazon started by selling books and then, you know, 20 years later, 30 mm -hmm, years later, mm -hmm. they're the company that's in front of us today. That is yeah. what Wander is going to become. We are going to become mm -hmm. a multi-pronged, multi-product company oriented around mm -hmm. travel and quality and building the first customer first. Mm. travel company that exists with a mm. focus on technology and ease and we'll take ownership of the things that we need to own to ensure that that's true mm. so you're not you're not far off um now obviously there are a incredible amount of things that need to get solved <laughs> between Absolutely. here and there and it's going to take a lot of years and i'll probably have very much like less hair uh when we get there uh, which i look forward to i look forward to like you know if if we're lucky enough to make it uh looking will, back on this will, interview sure. oh yeah we'll, we'll see. bring you back yeah we'll try i'll be there uh, for sure yeah and uh and yeah i look forward to being bold and uh full of wrinkles at like whatever like 20 <laughs> like you know 35 or something um, <laughs> but yeah we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens but there's a lot of exciting things i mean you're going to start mm. to see the early signs of that right like we just rolled out chat and app and on web We'll be integrating mm. like these large language models into that and then integrating mm. that into the APIs of our own and other companies. So soon you'll be able to ask like, hey, I want to book a flight for these people and stay at this house mm. for these dates and book these activities and it'll all mm. automatically be done for you. Mm. And obviously like that sounds so ridiculous, but like <laughs> that future is here where everyone can have yeah. their own personal travel That's agent. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of really cool things that are in the works. Obviously we have to build a lot of systems for scale as well. We've recently gone mm -hmm. from, you know, doing like, you know, two, three homes a month to now we're doing five, six, seven a month, 10 a month. Mm -hmm. And that is a remarkable amount of work. And so you have to build mm -hmm. a lot of systems for that as well. So I'd say that 80% of our focus is on scale. 
20 percent of our folk and like making making everything work in that vein and then the other 20 percent is like these like really radical features um and then you know if you fast forward into 2024 you'll be looking at international expansion and like that same story and then from there you're going to look at new verticals being added I can't tell you exactly which ones they're they're going to be mm -hmm. as it, it'd be likely to change. I'd have to give like a percentage that would be very low on like mm -hmm. what I thought. But yeah, there's there's so much opportunity. Like no one no one is over the moon about their travel experience. And oh. like, I think I, I'd love to solve that for them. You have so much ground to cover. Let me tell you that, you know, I'm not a frequent tra traveler, but <laughs> when I travel, I always have this regret why why can't people make it super simple you know you went even, to even using existing infrastructure like i yeah. want my app to tell me like arrive to the airport at this time like your car is for you outside like and then it shows me like with an arrow like where do i go to my gate like all these different pieces all this again is super technologically difficult so like all the skeptics who are listening like you are absolutely right this is like years away <laughs> But it's it's still cool to think about, obviously. No, it's it's solvable, right? It's it's it. I, it is something that you can solve for. Right? And we went to SF in July to celebrate my my little guy's birthday, first birth, uh, second birthday, and we, we we boarded United. For whatever reason, flights canceled. We had to yeah. stay in Chicago. All the shit happened. They lost our bag. You know what? There is no way to call people of United and ask for the status. You had to wait for a couple of hours to just to. Oh, I've been stuck in airports overnight many times. It's like it's delayed, 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 delayed. And then like three in the morning, it gets canceled. Yeah. That's insane. So I would. Again, I would it's about customers. To, yeah. A customer to, yeah, yeah. It's like customer centric, service minded leadership is what lagging in these traditional old school methods of running companies. Wanderers has such an opportunity, I feel, to revolutionize or innovate, really like, you know, uh, air travel as well. Yeah, we have, uh, we have the opportunity to scale what we're currently doing, which we're fortunate that that has product market fit. And obviously, yeah. like, we need to scale that. But then the cool thing is, is that, like, you know, you can imagine a few tabs getting added to the platform. You can imagine mm. things like even like home sharing or yeah. even like a curated marketplace. You can imagine mm. like this AI concierge mm. dealing with like all of your travel. Like you can even imagine longer term stays and like wander yeah. urban hopping from city to city events and experiences. Yeah. I mean, there's so much opportunity. And again, like, you know, this all, it's difficult to talk about the future without seeming like super naive and crazy but you know at the end of the day it's fun and yeah. it's like that that's a big part of it that's that's what i love um about building startups right like we we imagine this grand you know uh grand vision and, and i think that that triggers i think that triggers a lot of people like i think that there are certain people who hope that you fail because wow. you thought so big and like it does, it is, it is likely to fail. I think that's the one thing too, that I would say is like, I am not ignorant to the fact yeah. that like, like failure is of course, like incredibly likely, but I think the key is, is I, just to yeah, work hard and yeah. And see how special it can be. I feel honestly, this is what I believe in trying is important. 
winning success winning or failing it's like you said is external you know constraints that will add to that outcome right trying is something that we control completely end to end you have a vision you have a dream try it just give it a shot Absolutely. forget about like you know working and, it on and forever for whoever's listening who needs to hear it i am i am rooting for you if you're chasing your dream i i personally am rooting for you so awesome yeah man that that's amazing uh john andrew this is this has been i can go on and on i can i don't know if about you but i have this weird energy on a friday evening that's that's not transferable for fun or anything i want to build something now it, it you, you kind of inspired me now this has been amazing you know so many lessons so many incredible lessons i love the frameworks i i kind of the problem solving mechanisms uh the way you view startups start from zero you know it it gets it never gets easier and i, and I feel like you have this energy that's contagious and like you said the least we can do is to root for someone to win right who has dreams who have bigger visions so bigger ambitions so on that note thanks to john a, andrew it's been a total pleasure you've done an incredible job like i'm so stoked for you and yeah thank you so much for having me this has been truly a joy so awesome uh, i i did I, i think i did my job <laughs> thanks thanks folks thanks uh, guys for listening uh, appreciate your time and attention we have awesome awesome guests coming on the pod uh, that's john andrew and i'm signing off sharath from the undefeated underdogs podcast stay healthy guys stay ambitious do your thing cheers